I, uh, I, I love music. I've talked to you guys a number of times about the role music has played in my life. It actually was one form that helped me come to faith. And uh, I love a few things about music. I love the storytelling aspects of music. I, I, I don't claim to know much about country culture, but a country song sometime, y'all, man, it'll get you. Brother done lost the dog, the tire came off the truck, and lost the job. But God, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> you know, like, like a song will do that. And I grew up in the, in the hip-hop generation. I grew up listening to R&B and listening to rap. And, and there were some, some songs that I used to sing that as I came to faith and started to mature, I'm like, I don't know if I, if I believe this anymore. You know, songs that would talk about love, like, girl, I, I love you so much, I would walk from the Pacific to the Atlantic. Yeah. <laughs> I love my wife. Y'all know that. I love my wife. She has five beautiful kids. I love Pacific to Atlantic? <laughs> That's a walk. That's a walk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but then there were songs I used to listen to that was, that was just songs I loved. But I started listening to the words again, and I'm like, I, 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 I'm not down. You know, songs that were like, you know, we, we, would, we would get rich or die trying. We would, we would do anything for the money. We would, we would give our lives to get that dough. Like these statements that were, that were these mantras and I started to start realizing, man, as I'm hearing this, I don't, I don't believe that. No, no, if, 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 if somebody comes up in here and they want to know where the drugs are at and they got a gun, they're they, they right there. <laughs> drugs over there. Oh, don't forget the ones in the garage. Like, my, my, my life, my, my life is not worth money started to realize that while a lot of this music I loved and enjoyed, it revolved around money, it revolved around women, it revolved around these fun times, and that you were supposed to give all that you were to obtain these things. And so the songs that used to bring me great joy actually began to convict me. Because I began to ask myself, Leon, what are you willing to give your life for? Like if they're willing to give their life to get money, to get a nice house for a car that's going to fade, and in two years they want another car. If they're willing to give their whole lives for this thing and they show it, what are you willing to give your life for? I think as we dive into our sermon today, as we get into the, the Sermon on the Mount, our sermon series, this kingdom come, this different way by which Christ comes and changes things, there's a question that he encourages us in. He helps us understand. He helps us to be able to land the plane on what we are willing to give our lives for. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I want to pray. God, guide us. Let your word lead us. Let your word open us up to understand who you are and let your word convict us. We love you. But more than anything, even when we stray, we know you love us. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I, uh, I've been outside, and there was one day when I went outside and I, I shoveled the snow, I pulled in our garbage cans, and then I took my, my wife, my mother-in-law's car to go get gas. And I came back home, and y'all, I almost could not open up the, the, the door. I couldn't turn the key. Thankfully, the door was unlocked because my hands were so numb from being outside in that freezing cold weather that I couldn't even control them. And Carl, you work outside, so you know what that numbness will do. And when I came in the house, I couldn't tell you what was going on. My house could have been... There could have been a fire. Things could have been crazy. What didn't matter. The only thing that mattered was inside my home was warmth. That there was heat that began to thaw out my hands. Internally, we had heat. And that solved all things for that time. Family, as we've been diving into the, the Sermon on the Mount, God is telling us that we are blessed. We are blessed that internally we have something on the inside that calms anything else on the outside. He's saying, you have me. You have the God that's created all things. I am able to thaw out the hardness of your heart, the hardness of your life. You have me. And so you have a happiness. Yes, you should be able to smile. You should be able to have a sense of glee. You should be a bit different than other people who have no hope and no happiness. But it's not just a feeling. We don't just go around smiling all day like everything's perfect. You heard the prayer request today. Some prayer requests will take away the smile. But see, our happiness is also rooted and connected to joy, and joy is based on us having God in us. Him heating up all aspects of who we are, him filling all aspects of what we do. And so, because he is in us, we are blessed. Because he is with us, we are blessed. Because he loves us, we have joy. And so we get some words from, from Jesus, this great and amazing sermon from Jesus, this, this time where he's helping us understand, hey, here's some rhythms that I want you, my people of God, to operate in. Here's some rhythms. We've talked about some of the rhythms previous. This rhythm is one of enduring persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven we have a tough time wrapping our minds around the one term the term persecution 
persecution you knew when you was young. You experienced it when you were a kid, when when one of your friends lied on you and you were a child, it was like your whole world was destroyed. How could she say that about me? I You've been there before when your when your heart seemed rocked by just someone else's words. And yeah, it plays into our adulthood, but but you and I have not known persecution like the persecution of the prophets. And so even in these verses, in verse 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is connecting constantly the Old Testament to the New Testament to help us wrestle with that question, though. What are you willing to die for? So you should not simply be okay with dying. He's actually saying, your persecution should be something that's so minuscule in the grand scheme of who I am that you are blessed when you're persecuted. Blessed, joyful when you're persecuted. There, we coming out of a, a season where it's old now, but back in the day, R&B again, you heard so many songs about player haters. Remember that? Remember, remember, I, I can list about 12 songs that came with why you hating on me, play, like it was just so. But the concept is one where someone sees you and because of who you are, they want to take down your value, your worth because of something that they find attractive in you. See, that, that concept still reigns true here in the Gospels where these people see the Jesus within you, the righteousness that you possess, the aspect of Christ that you demonstrate out in the world, and they say, get her. They say, get him. They say that type of light should not be shining within our city limits. That type of light should not be present within our marketplace. That type of light should be snuffed out. And so they bring forth persecution. We got an example of one who was persecuted. His name is Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Old Testament prophet, one of the last prophets. This, this Jeremiah uh, goes into the the, the temple, and he, he brings a word, and you know when you come to church, you want to hear a word that makes you feel good sometimes, makes you feel like, hey, he got under her my story. No, he brings a word that says, get in line. You've been sinning. Quit sinning. Return to God's laws. His laws are there for his love because of his love for who, because of his love for you. So experience his love fully by doing what he asks. See, we don't come to God just to behave and get controlled. No, we come to God because he loves us. But he also has written a script for what a beautiful life looks like. And so we submit to his ways, not because we're just trying to be robots obeying this God who sends out controls. No, we submit because he actually knows best. And when we think we know best, we mess up everything. Come on, now you know there were some things that you've chosen, some decisions that you've made that you wish you could, can I, can I get that one back? Can I, can I get a do-over? 
You see, but, but when we submit to his ways, there have been times when it did not look good, but because you submitted to his ways, it worked out in your favor beyond what you could have imagined. And he says, such is the case in persecution. Because persecution is a long-term game. See, Jeremiah was preaching and he was saying these things, repent. He was saying, turn away from these idols. He was saying, hey, come on, y'all, honor the Lord your God. Listen, how did they respond to Jeremiah? Thank you, Jeremiah, such an encouraging word. No, they responded to Jeremiah in, verses, in chapter 37, verses 11 through 16, it tells us one of the ways they responded. Jeremiah 37, verse 11 says, Now when the Chaldean army had withdrawn from Jerusalem at the approach of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to receive his portion there among the people. When he was at the Benjamin gate, a sentry there named uh, Arijah, the son of Shalemiah, son of Hananiah, seized, I know, I'm trying, I'm trying here, y'all, <laughs> seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, you are deserting the Chaldeans. And Jeremiah said, it is a lie. I'm not deserting the Chaldeans. But Elijah would not listen to him and seized Jeremiah, brought him to the officials, and the officials were enraged at Jeremiah's, and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan, the secretary, for it had been made into a prison. When Jeremiah had come to the dungeon cells and remained there many days, King Zedekiah sent for him and received him. The king questioned him secretly in his house and said, is there any word from the Lord? Jeremiah said, there is. Then he said, you shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. But Jeremiah also said to the king of Zedekiah, what wrong have I done to you or your servants or this people that you've put me in prison? Look, king, you trying to get a word from the Lord. There's a word. But why you got me locked up? Why am I in here? Why did they just beat me down? See, I, I like this because we as Christians want to have a nice package around why we get persecuted. We want to be like, oh, well, because I did this thing, they persecuted me. See, the Bible doesn't give us that. The Bible says, because you love Jesus, that's enough. Because you stand for God's truth, that's enough. Which sermon was it that actually broke them and made them say, let's get them? Which time did, no. Jeremiah was constantly saying, let us return to the ways of the Lord. Let us walk in the ways of the Lord living out the gospel with character. And it brought forth persecution. Thankfully, the Lord spared him, and, and uh, he got thrown in, thrown in a cistern later, and they left him to die, and the king sent somebody to grab him, sent an Ethiopian to grab him. That's in verse 38. When you have some time, enjoy Jeremiah. It's a, it's, 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 it's a book where you get to see God's hand upon a person that he calls, even when the environment and circumstances are not joyful. See, even when it seems like, God, are you sure you're telling me to live this way? Because they're not responding. But your lifestyle 
What God calls us to do is not based on how other people respond. It's based on his word. So we have Tertullian, who was a, an ancient father of the church. He writes down that, that he's pretty certain that our brother Jeremiah passed away in Egypt. That he passed away from being tortured and end up being a martyr. Uh, we're not 100% certain, but that's what one of the early church fathers has recorded. So today, as we wrestle with what does it mean, what would you be willing to give your life for, I want us to see an Old Testament example from Jeremiah, but I also want us to see some, some, some more modern examples of people who gave their lives based on their faith, based on their connection, their depth, their loving of Christ. They were willing to be persecuted. And I do so by looking at at the African-American church. There were some people who took a stand during the civil rights era, and uh, many people have come back now to look at different sects of the church. You know, we have churches in Latin America, churches that are abroad, churches that are here, and each aspect of the church we can learn something beautiful from. There are different persecution and different perseverance that has happened from the church, and we can see God's hand at play in each. And one of the ways we see God's hand at play through the African-American church is its perseverance in the midst of opposition. Perseverance in the midst of downright evil. Uh, There's an article written in Christianity Today and I'll send out the link uh, later. But it says, uh, like their ancient Christian predecessors, African Americans bore witness to the Christian gospel despite the threat of punishment and even death at the hands of fellow Christians. For example, slave slave Christians suffered severe punishment if they were caught attending secret prayer meetings, which whites outlawed as a threat to social order. And yet they endured suffering rather than forsake worship. In 1792, a man named Andrew Bryan and his brother Samson were arrested and hauled before city magistrates of Savannah, Georgia, for holding a religious service. With about 50 of their followers, they were imprisoned and severely flogged. Andrew told his persecutors that he rejoiced not only to be whipped, but would freely suffer death for the cause of his Jesus, the Lord his Christ. You see, family, there are are aspects of the church that have endured persecution, and the way you understand it, the way you and I can wrap our minds around it is when we have actual tangible examples, when we have people that we know of, and and I can give you a long list of martyrs. There's the the Stevens who we find in Acts, there's St. Lawrence, Joan of Arc, Justin Martyr, Jim Elliott. There's, there's a ton of people. But today I want to reflect on two. And you could look up uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center. They have a, a list of people during civil rights that, that took a stand, and they have a, a list of Christians that did it because of their love for Christ. In 1954, in Belusi, Mississippi, outnumbered 
uh, it outnumbered two to one blacks to whites. But like all Southern blacks, they were not allowed to attend white schools or eat in white restaurants. They were, would be arrested if they sat on the bus uh, seats reserved for whites, and they were not allowed to vote. Integration would be a long time coming in this small Delta town on the banks of the Yazoo River. But Reverend George Lee, a black minister who, was also, who also ran a local grocery store and printing press, had no illusions that it would come in his lifetime and that he would continue to fight, fight, fight for it to become a reality. But he knew the only way that change would come forth is that it had to start at the ballot box. So with the help of his friend Gus Kortz, Lee started a chapter of the NAACP. They printed leaflets. They held meetings. They urged blacks to pay the poll tax, uh, which was a fee for voting that was later outlawed by the Voting Front Rights Act. Uh, but he encouraged blacks to pay the poll tax so that they could register to vote. Whites in town immediately organized a white citizens council to fight back against the register to vote movement that Lee was starting. The names of blacks registered to vote were put on a list and circulated to white businessmen who retaliated by firing them from their jobs, denying them credit, and raising their rents. White officials offered Lee protection on the condition that he and his voter registration efforts would die. Lee refused. On May 7, 1955, the Saturday before Mother's Day, Lee was driving toward home when he was hit by gunfire from a passing car. With half his face blown apart, Lee pulled himself out of the car and made his way to the cab stand. Two black drivers took him to the hospital where he died. Local authorities ruled that Lee was fatally injured in a traffic accident and that the lead pellets in his face and neck were probably from dental fillings that had come loose. This minister, he believed in the gospel. He believed that the gospel was what st stood and told the story that all men are actually created equal. He believed that all men have value and worth in God's eyes. And so what he did was he put his gospel into action. And at times, and it is not unique to the African-American and greater white church, it is if you go to Britain, if you look throughout time, you will see times when the church actually persecutes itself. Where we harm ourselves, where we have the opportunity for great grace and love, and instead we are so angry that you are so different and claiming to love our God. Our God. You notice that? Our God, as if we can define God in a nice, neat box, as if God must look like the African-American way or the Caucasian way or the Asian way or the... And so, at times we've persecuted one another. There's another story of a, of a sister... Her name is Fanny Lou Hamer, and Time Magazine reports her story by saying uh, her, a, a famous quote that she says. She says, you can pray until you faint, but if you don't get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. Yeah, 
<laughs> she delivered those powerful words at a mass meeting in, in Mississippi in September of 1964. Her bold message that each of us has the responsibility to work towards the just and equal society that we envision left a lasting impression on those in attendance that evening in the Negro Baptist Church. The fact that Hammer would tell a room filled with religious people that religious people that prayer only went so far revealed the depth of her fearless activism connecting both her faith and action. A woman of faith, Hammer, believed that God was on her side and favored everyone fighting for the rights and equality of black people. But she also understood that faith alone could not bring an end to racial injustice in this country, and faith alone could not dismantle white supremacy. So in her 40s, while attending a mass meeting at a local church, that was the first time she became aware that black people had been granted voting rights. She said, I had never heard it until 1962 that black people could even register and choose to vote. So during her 60s, she became a civil rights activist, working alongside members of the Student Nonviolent uh, Coordinating Committee, SNCC, uh, an, interracial, an interracial civil rights organization in the Mississippi Delta. She became a SNCC field secretary in 63 and traveled around the country speaking and registering people to vote. It was when she spoke during a DNC Atlantic City meeting that, uh, that she began to uh, get pulled over with some other people. Uh, after that meeting, they pulled her over. They were going actually to eat. Pulled them, pulled, took, took them from the restaurant. And as they were talking with the officer, they tried to get the officer's uh, license plate number to report him because now they were supposed to be allowed to sit at the counter. And as soon as they tried to get his license plate number, he decided to arrest them all, put them in jail, and then they had two people that were already in the jail, two black men, and unfortunately, the police officers told them, if you beat her, we'll let you go. And they beat her almost to the point of death. She, from that point on, had major injuries that would continue with her, but she didn't allow that to stop her moving forward to create policies that would bring forth equality. For years to come, she persevered on, but she actually got tired and frustrated with the political process because it moved too slowly, and she was continuing to see babies hungry. So Hammer turned to economics as a strategy for greater racial equality. In 68, she began a pig bank to provide free pigs for black farmers to breed, raise, and slaughter. A year later, she launched the Freedom Farm Cooperative, buying up land that blacks could own and farm collectively. With the assistance of donors, she purchased 640 acres and launched a co-op store, boutique, and sewing enterprise. She single-handedly ensured 200 units of low-income housing were built. Many still exist in Ruleville today because of her faith. But you, you build houses because of your faith. 
you help see some schools get resources because of your faith, but you end up in jail, sometimes beat by the people you love because of your faith. So persecution will come because we reflect Christ, because we are walking out of righteousness. This article says that that all churches have been affected by the by the theology that somehow preached that we need to just live for Jesus and separate the experiences of man. But see, these people couldn't separate the experiences of man. It left babies hungry. It left their concerns and their desires ignored. And so they saw not having to choose as the Christian way. To be active, but your activism rooted in something deeper than, than any worldview is rooted in Christ. And that type of living, that type of walking out is worth persecution. It's worth experiencing some harm. It's worth our names being tarnished a little bit. Hebrews has this great, this great list of people of faith. This group of people of faith are, 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 are folks like, like Abraham and folks like Moses, folks that you think of as amazing folks. You think of Moses when they kept, kept his arms up, and you think of, you know, the generations and nations flowing out of Abraham. You know, when you think of these folks, you think of nothing but great things. But I like what it says when you think of the people that had great faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting at the second portion of verse 35, it says, Of these people of great faith, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute and afflicted and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. See, if you ask the question, what are you willing to die for? I hope you would say, I'm willing to die for Christ and his kingdom. I'm willing to die to experience the, the lover of my soul, that who has created a place for me that will be eternal peace, where there will be no pain, no hurt, but on this side of heaven, I could take some for that reality. On this side of heaven, I can experience being, my name being drugged through the mud. I can even experience pain for the sake of experiencing my Savior. You know, uh, I, I, I was tripping a little bit. And, uh, boo, you know I love you. I'll take that walk for you, girl. Um, you know, that, 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 that there's over 40 people that have walked from coast to coast, over 40 people. Can you imagine their feet, the blisters? 
Can you imagine your, your back starting to seize up on you, your knees starting to act up? Can you imagine the, the storms that you experienced? It wasn't a sunny day the whole way. Can you imagine what it feels like to walk? We talking about like Boston to L.A., you know what I'm saying? When I say coast, we talking about miles. And when I read the story of one guy, short little couple, couple of sentences, you understand how someone can make that trek. One guy named Bill Bucklew, uh, he de de departed from Tibby Island, Georgia, uh, and arrived in, uh, on November 24th, 2017, and arrived in Imperial Beach, San Diego, on January 31st, 2018. Bucklew appears to have set the record for walking coast to coast by doing it in 67 days. Bucklew has Parkinson's disease and walked an average of one and a half marathons per day, every day, without a break. Bucklew was real-time trackable throughout his walk via Google location sharing and had different people walking with him each step of the way in each state. Bucklew raised over $120,000 for Michael J. Fox Foundation and was writing a book about the connections he made along the way. See, when you do something for a purpose greater than yourself, you can push yourself. You can stretch yourself. You can begin to, to, to achieve things beyond what you've imagined because you're thinking about something bigger than yourself. You're thinking about a lasting legacy. You're thinking about something that's going to bless and serve and celebrate others. What does it look like to endure persecution? When we're thinking about the greatest one. We're thinking about our God. When we're thinking about serving and celebrating the one who's created all things. Can you endure when you're thinking about his kingdom? Can we endure persecution when we're thinking about his reality being our reality? Can you endure when you think about his justice rolling throughout our day? It's worth it, family. It's worth it. But in order... For us to receive persecution, somebody got to know we persecution worthy. Somebody got to know that we love Jesus. Somebody's got to see that Christ is in me and Christ is in you. And so let that light shine, family. Let it shine that we might be able to endure. And we can say with joy, yeah, we're blessed to be persecuted for Christ. Let us pray. Lord, you are who we would be willing to give our lives to. Not cars, not money. Father, not fame. We just want to make your name big. We want to make your name holy and hallowed above all others. We want to, Lord, take from those that have gone before us, from the Old Testament to to people living out your faith today, experiencing persecution, Lord, would you let us follow in their footsteps? Would we see that justice is just one of the things that 
that you allow to to make your name great, but it also takes some fighting to see justice take place. It takes some perseverance and it takes some pushing, Lord, and we want to be a people that listen to you. And when you say go, we'll go. When you say take a stand, we'll take a stand, even if it means we're harmed. We ultimately know you are with us. It's in your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you are joining us today and you are uh, at home or you are with us in person, please know that we're not just trying to sign you up to get punished. Our goal and our hope is not that you would experience any pain. You know, I would love for you to have a life where you're not persecuted for loving Jesus. That's not my goal. I'm not trying to sign you up. But in some way, Jesus says it comes with the territory. But hear me when I say this. The reason why it's worth it is because Jesus has given so much more to us. He's offered an entirely new reality, and we stand here today offering you the opportunity to accept Jesus, to allow him to be your Lord and Savior, one who not only died for you to put you in a new place so you're no longer dead, now living in him, but also wants to lead you. So Savior saved you from yourself and saved you from death, Lord, because he wants to guide you and lead you. And so today we offer you the opportunity to submit to Jesus as your Lord. If you would like to submit, simply pray this prayer with me. Repeat after me. Jesus, I believe you are my Savior. I believe you died for my sins. I believe that I'm forgiven and that I can fully experience the Father. Thank you for allowing the Holy Spirit to dwell in me so I may now live in righteousness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you are new and newly praying that prayer, newly accepting that, then we celebrate with you. We are happy that you are walking with Christ now and in the family of God, and we welcome you to the family affair. Every Sunday we will be celebrating Christ, and we invite you to return with us. Uh, if that is you and you are present, please, after service, come forward. I would love to talk with you. Our goal is to walk with you and see you grow in Christ and that we're a church family that's here for that purpose. If you are home, please, in the chat, uh, submit your information on that um, contact card so we can follow up with you. We would love to see you connect with the Lord.